Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you on the 24th of November, 2021. This is Authentic Biochemistry, and yes, indeed, it is the eve of American Thanksgiving, a very important sacred holiday. Um, the reason I'm giving you this audio talk this evening is because I've actually prepared the final, I'm not kidding, video lecture and I'm about ready to record it, but I wanted to add this really important element uh, of associated aging and intermediary metabolism that involves amino acid biosynthesis and degradation. And I don't normally um, spend a lot of time on amino acid metabolism, except, of course, with neurotransmitters. And we did talk about nitric oxide. And just very recently, I came upon a very interesting, um, rather uh, non-benevolent metabolic fate of arginine, L-arginine. If you know why that's significant for NO metabolism already, then maybe you know where I'm going with this. But anyway, I want to make sure I covered that. And plus, this will be kind of fun because it is a treat, right? It's right before Thanksgiving. And uh, there's nothing wrong with doing something like that, in my opinion. So let's just say arginine and aging, an authentic biochemistry treat on Thanksgiving Eve. Now, I wouldn't recommend breaking out the cranberry sauce or even doing anything with the dressing at all. In fact, I generally recommend not doing it with dressing until after it's cooked. But for me and my family here, we're not actually doing turkey. We're doing a standing rib roast. So that's how I feel about Thanksgiving. No thanks on the turkey. Yes, thanks on the sacred holiday. I know you all want to know that. Now, let's get right into this discussion. <clears throat> you know that there is the urea cycle. And the urea cycle, if we started directly from arginine, which I think I will do today, arginine is metabolized via arginase to urea. And the next reaction actually utilizes the other product of the arginase, that's L-ornithine. Ornithine is translocated into the mitochondrion, and ornithine reacts then with carbamyl phosphate to make L-citrulline. So ornithine moves into the mitochondrion, citrulline moves out. Now, the carbamyl phosphate itself was synthesized from carbon dioxide, actually bicarbonate, dissolved CO2 in water, ammonia, NH3+, and 2-ATP. And that enzyme is the phosphate synthetase 1, and of course is the mitochondrial enzyme, not the one for nucleotide metabolism, which is in the cytoplasm. So it takes two ATPs, you hydrolyze those to ADPPI, you also produce uh, three protons, actually, and you make phosphate, And that, again, will react via the ornithine transcarbamylase with L-ornithine to make L-citrulline. Okay. Um, I can also tell you that CPS1 is, of course, it's an absolute requirement for N-acetylglutamate, which acts as an allosteric activator. And that's really important because that means a lot of nitrogen being metabolized into the liver at this point. Now, when citrulline leaves the mitochondrion, it then completes the urea cycle. So citrulline will react with L-aspartate 
via arginosuccinate synthase, and that'll also hydrolyze ATP to AMP and PPI, an unusual reaction metabolite there, and you'll make arginosuccinate. Arginosuccinate will then uh, be converted to L-arginine via the arginosuccinate lyase reaction, which besides making L-arginine will also make fumarate. So you can see here that arginine can be synthesized de novo in the human liver. But the problem why L-arginine can still be considered an essential amino acid is, as I just described to you, the L-arginine is completely consumed in the urea cycle. And remember, the whole purpose of the urea cycle is to make the urea, that's what the arginase does, it makes l in urea, and the urea is then excreted in the urine. This is a way of eliminating nitrogen, right? All right, now that's the classical utilization of L-arginine. Now, here we go to something um, that is germane to our aging discussion. Paper published in Biomedicines in 2020 told me the following. Uh, arginine derives from the Greek word alpirpok, or that we then uh, translate to the word silver. And the reason that arginine is called that is because the color of arginine nitrate crystals is a silver color. So for those of you that are chemists, which I hope a lot are listening that are, um, arginine, of course, is 2-amino-5-guanidinopentanoic acid. That's what arginine actually is. Now, it's a substrate, as you just heard, for the urea cycle, but also it's very important for nitric oxide synthase. So that's NOS. So you have two enzymes that compete for arginine, NOS and arginase. Now, when arginine is a substrate for NO, we often see this synthesis in endothelial cells. And therefore, it's going to regulate the vascular tone of those muscle cells, right? Those endothelial cells act like muscle cells. And uh, that means that the, the reaction for NO synthesis is involved in cardiovascular homeostasis. So vascular tone and CV homeostasis. So I reported a while back, uh, probably months ago, right here at Authentic Biochemistry, and I was synthesized from arginine and all that. I just told it to you again. Now, the enzyme NOS is a reaction that involves the transfer of electrons from nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphate, that's an ADPH, and it's, again, just to give you the reaction, center uh, descriptors, that's via the flavin adenine dinucleotide and flavin mononucleotide in the C-terminal reductase domain to the heme and the N-terminal oxygenase domain, where the arginine is oxidized again to citrulline and NO. <clears throat> I also lectured in the past on the importance of arginine in T-cell proliferation. Keep that in mind for the final lecture and video. Uh, arginine is also essential in creatine and in collagen, bi collagen biosynthesis, and I've talked all about that too. Now, in terms of NOS, we have an endothelial or ENOS, we have a neuronal NNOS, we have constitutively expressed plus inducible NOS, INOS. And the INOS is usually involved in pro-inflammatory cytokine production. It's associated with it. So in our generation occurs in two steps. First, NOS hydroxylates arginine 
to N-omega-hydroxyarginine, which remained bound to the enzyme. And then the next step in the reaction sequence is NOS oxidizes N-omega-hydroxyarginine, then to citrulline and NO. Now, this NOS catalyzes the transformation of arginine, molecular oxygen, and DPH-derived electrons to NO and citrulline and in atherosclerosis and diabetes to disease states, which are common in the elderly, the second uh, diabetes most common in obese elderly, the NOS function does get altered and the enzyme catalyzes the reduction of O2 to superoxide. Now that's a phenomenon generally referred to as NOS uncoupling and it's been linked to a limited bioavailability of tetrahydrobiopterin, which is a cofactor. BH4 is that cofactor. Indeed, the donation of an electron by BH4 to produce a transient BH4 dot plus radical is required for the oxidation of arginine to citrulline. And it's associated with the formation of a ferrous iron NO complex. And that's all at the NOS heme cantolytic center of the enzyme. Now, BH4 is synthesized from guanosine triphosphate um, by an enzyme called GTP cyclohydrolase 1. And it's actually recycled via 7,8-dihydroopterin, that's BH2, by the enzyme dihydrofolate reductase. NOS is inhibited by arginine analogs that are substituted at the guanidino nitrogen atom, um, compounds like NG monomethylarginine or NG nitro arginine. Okay. Now, here's where it gets interesting for aging. In a, in a paper published in Age and Aging, yes, it does sound a little bit uh, additive and reciprocal, uh, volume eight, and I'll give you the citation in the show notes. This paper tells us that there was an identification of a methylated arginine analog in blood, and then it accumulates specifically in elderly people, and in more precisely, elderly people with end-stage renal disease. One of those methylated arginines is a compound called asymmetric dimethylarginine, or ADMA. And that compound, or the high level of it, independently can predict an adverse outcome in those end-stage renal disease elderly patients. There you go. Now, recent observational studies have also reported there is a pathological or pathophysiological role for ADMA in certain disease states of the endothelia. And this particular uh, illness is characterized by a, a change in the structural and functional integrity of the endothelium because you're getting impaired nitric oxide synthesis, all right? And with that, associated vascular disease and atherosclerosis. So there's emerging evidence. There's another arginine analog. Now keep this one in your mind. It's called homoarginine. And that could actually be beneficial for cardiovascular homeostasis. So you got ADMA and you got homoarginine. So the two are at least contrary and maybe contradictory for good outcome for end-stage renal disease and also for cardiovascular disease, with ADMA being the negative player. So ADMA, I'm sure you want to know, is synthesized via the methylation of arginine, of course, because it's methylated arginine, dimethylated. 
but it doesn't happen on the free amino acid. It happens when arginine is associated in a polypeptide backbone. So you get this methylated arginine in the protein, but after protein degradation, whatever the protein happens to be, the ADMA is released into the cytoplasm where it can be metabolized by all different kinds of enzymes. One is dimethylarginine dimethylaminohydrolase, and the other is an alanine glyoxylate aminotransferase 2 isoform. Ultimately, also, it can be transferred to the extracellular space by a specific cation transporter, and then ADMA could just be basically eliminated unchanged in the urine flow. So homoarginine, this positive arginine metabolite, is synthesized at least by two pathways. The first involves an arginine glycine amidotransferase, and the other one involves a urea cycle enzyme ornithine transcarbamylase, arginate succinate synthetase, and arginosuccinate lyse, working in tandem. So homoarginine is subsequently metabolized also via that alanine glyoxylate amino transfer. It's called the AGXT2. I like that. However, it can also be eliminated on change in the urine, just like ADMA. Okay. So you've got then um, homoarginine Homoarginine doesn't, we don't know if homoarginine has any effect on the arginase reaction. There's been some suggestion it could block it, but this is still kind of iffy as of late November 2019. But we do know that ADMA, which again comes from dimethylated arginine from proteins that have been degraded via proteolysis, that that compound will block, ADMA will block NOS. So without NOS activity, you're not going to get arginine reacting with oxygen and NADPH to make NO and citrulline. And NO, as you know, is vasodilating. Okay? So that's the key feature here. So the main biological effect of ADMA is what I'm telling you is potently inhibits nitric oxide synthase enzymes, multiple isoforms of that enzyme. So the consequent reduction that you get from uh, levels of NO, so intracellular NO levels drop because you're blocked with ADMA, favors directly some endothelial dysfunction, and then associated with that, multiple pathological processes involved in atherosclerosis, such as cardiovascular disease of the aging in particular. So the pathophysiological role of ADMA in atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease is supported not just by studying in humans, but also multiple animal studies. When you get a DDAH, it's the enzyme that metabolizes ADMA, you get, a, you get when you get an overexpression of DDAH in an animal model, you get a consequential increased metabolism ADMA. And guess what that does in the animal model? It exerts a protective effect against atherosclerosis. Now, by that same measure of understanding, it suggests that homoarginine exerts a positive effect in cardiovascular system by serving as both a nitric oxide synthase substrate, because you can get NO from it. And then because of that, you also may get some arginase inhibition which further leads to higher levels of NO production. And that all will accompany vasodilation and a more healthy non-atherosclerotic 
non-cardiovascular disease system. Okay. So again, ADMA, when it goes up and homoarginine goes down, you get a loss of endosynthesis. When that happens, you get endothelial dysfunction and associated with that, many pathophysiological states, peripheral vascular resistance, cardiac afterload, and leukocyte adhesion. Of course, you also get oxidative stress and more pathophysiology. Airflow limitation occurs when you have a drop in nitric oxide, of course, because you don't have vasodilation. That means you get pulmonary hypertension. You get a drop in cerebral blood flow, of course, that oxygen tension is within the blood. And you can also get neurotoxicity and, of course, atherosclerosis increases. And you get an increase because of all of this pathology and reactive oxygen being generated an increase in platelet activity, which means more clotting. So ADMA is a bad player. So here's your key clinical emerald. I don't call it a pearl like they do in medicine. I'm not a medical doctor. I am a PhD. So I'm going to call it a clinical emerald <laughs> from this paper. And what I'm going to tell you is there's a potential role for ADMA and this homoarginine in healthy states, but also in a lot of pathophysiology of the aging. And we see this in epidemiological studies uh, with advancing age, because you get with advancing age, a higher level of circulating ADMA, presumably because you've built up a lot of dimethylated arginine and polypeptides for erstwhile other signaling phenomena. Remember when you methylate amino acids, this is usually for methionine. And it's very often associated with the methyltransferase that's involved in some signal transduction cascade for some limited yet otherwise non-associated purpose or function. So you get an age-associated decline when you get high levels of ADMA. This is when it was first described. Remember I told you end-stage renal disease. You get an age-associated declining glomerular filtration rate and consequently, you get a lower level of ADMA elimination. So when you decline that glomerular filtration rate, the GFR, that's the, that's the functional output of the kidney, right? You don't eliminate the ADMA. Remember, I told you that's eliminated in the urine, right? One of the ways. So that might account for the fact you have higher circulating NDMA. It can be measured in the blood. And then what, of course, happens with that ADMA is it's going to block nitric oxide synthase and those endothelial cells, which is going to then corrupt the cardiovascular system. Now, isn't that all a very interesting thing, right? You see now why I brought this up with the aging, because it could well be that this is a major player in the aging phenotype, a major player in the aging phenotype, this increase in ADMA. And all this has to do with protein modification at the level of methylation. Now, what do we call that when we get methylation or acetylation, either of DNA, RNA, or protein, or for that matter, lipid? What do we call that in general? We call that an epigenetic modification. An epigenetic modification that's leading to uh, a, a completely different signaling transduction cascade 
But in this instance, when those methylation patterns are removed, and ultimately they are removed just by protein turnover or proteolytic degradation, whether or not from via ubiquitinylation pathway or from other proteosomal degradation pathways, ultimately you increase the amount of ADMA. And when you get this lower GFR, and that's associated then with a higher level of ADMI because you get lower levels of elimination, you're going to get a depressed nitric oxide synthase activity. Less nitric oxide is going to mean less vasodilation, more vasoconstriction. This is going to lead to cardiac failure as well as respiratory failure. All of that linked with aging and obesity and a particular diseases common with those two chronic disorders, but obesity and aging, but also with one of the associated diseases, metabolic diseases with obesity and even with aging, T2D, type 2 diabetes. So there you go. Now, going back to this arginine, just so we can kind of finish off this uh, discussion, this is just nice rock solid nitrogen metabolism biochemistry. Remember that the urea cycle arginine is converted by arginase, which itself is a manganese metalloenzyme. And it's involved in ornithinuria uh, metabolism, right? So that that whole interaction is what's necessary for urea excretion. But it's also involved in the production of bicarbonate, which is critical for maintaining acid-base homeostasis in the blood. So arginase exists in two different isoforms. I'm going to give you a little bit of detail here. Arginase 1 and 2, those are Roman numerals, of course. They only share about 60% sequence homology. Arginase 1 is a cytosolic enzyme, mainly localized in the liver. Arginase 2 is a mitochondrial enzyme, and that has a very wide distribution. It's expressed in the kidney, prostate, liver, of course, GI tract, and within the vasculature. So the enzyme, enzyme arginase is a key modulator of NO production by competing for arginine. And we just told you about that, about how competing for arginine is really important, especially if you're talking about the, the net production of NO for vasodilation. So NO generation, to no small extent, is somewhat dependent on the relative expression and activities of the arginase and those isozymes. More specifically, an increased arginase activity can lead to a decreased bioavailability of arginine for NOS activity that would diminish NO production. That mechanism has emerged as an essential factor underlying, wait for it, impaired endothelial function. Very specifically now, an increased arginase activity is associated with endothelial dysfunction in a number of animal model diseases for hypertension, atherosclerosis, diabetes type 2, and aging. And as I told you, it's also found in aging humans. So here you go. So in a healthy endothelium, what happens is you get arginine uptake into the endothelial cells. You have a good active BH4 associated nitric oxide synthase in the presence of NADPH and molecular oxygen, you make citrulline and nitric oxide, and that nitric oxide in the healthy endothelium 
enhances vasodilation. But in a dysfunctional endothelium, where you may have a blockage of our arginine uptake, that also occurs because that cation transporter can be inhibited. Um, you don't get arginine converted to nitric oxide because you don't have much of it there. But rather, the nitric oxide enzyme will just simply convert BH4 to BH2 and make superoxide, which, of course, is a reactive oxygen species, causing what? That's right, inflammation. Along with all of that, you also see this increase in ADMA, and ADMA further then blocks the NOS reaction. So if there's any available arginine, it's not going to be available for activity. So this is why arginine supplementation is sometimes recommended in cardiovascular disease. Because if you supplement with arginine, you can push it into the endothelium and restore its function. Here you're going to get that. If you get enough arginine, you're going to be able to get um, a blockage of the BH4 to BH2 metabolic pathway, so no, lower superoxide activity. You're also going to get full expression activity of BH4 associated so nitric oxide synthase, uh, converting arginine to citrulline and nitric oxide for vasodilation. And also the ADMA that's around, it may bind to some NOS, but because you have so much arginine, arginine will bind to NOS and it will outcompete with the ADMA. So one of the approaches for inhibiting that ADMA-associated decrease in nitric oxide synthase producing nitric oxide for vasodilation in the endothelium is an arginine supplementation. Don't you know? Indeed, this endothelial dysfunction is a leading cause of several pathological conditions, and all of them ultimately kick back into dysfunctions of the cardiovascular system. Okay, so that's, a, that's, again, a very interesting corollary to this on top of the aging because endothelial dysfunction is going to associate with cardiovascular a disease, hypertension, atherosclerosis, diabetes, and indeed even atherothrombosis. So the systemic manifestations observed uh, with coronavirus, some of you probably have heard of this, is caused by, of course, the um, virus known as SARS-CoV-2, or now COVID-19, right? And maybe some of the systemic manifestations of that COVID virus can be partially explained in the aging population by an endothelial dysfunction. Indeed, alterations in endothelial function are linked to hypertension, diabetes, and all these other pathophysiologies, kidney failure, another one. And all of those are featured as comorbidities to different extent in COVID-19 ill patients, okay? So on all those grounds, it could be that the arginine association with endothelial function could be linked to the aging phenotype as well as to the aggravated pathophysiological phenotype of certain respiratory viral infections, such as COVID-19. So I'm going to leave you with that because that's that's how I tried to um, lead you along this switchback highway so that you understood why I brought up the whole idea of ADMA, right? That dimethylated arginine residue, how it was linked to aging. 
I wanted to get that all in. Then I wanted to show you that aging is associated with lots of comorbidities. Hopefully I covered that ground. And at the end, I threw in the extra um, aspect of COVID-19 being, uh, being a disease more associated with high morbidity and sometimes mortality with the advanced elderly. And now I'm telling you those advanced elderly all have a problem with arginine metabolism because we just talked about the high levels of ADMA we find circulating in their blood and the production of that whole thing is because of the aging process of the proteins with higher levels of dimethylated arginine, proteolytic degradation, higher levels of ADMA being made, the lower glomerular flow rate in the kidney, increasing the amount of circulating ADMA, therefore restricting the nitric oxide synthase activity in the endothelia, giving you um, lack of vasodilation, and that means less ventilation and less lung capacity. All right. I think I gave you your uh, Thanksgiving Eve lecture in the amount of time necessary. Yes, I see that I've got about a minute left. So I don't know if I'm going to do the video lecture tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day. If I have time, I will. But otherwise, you'll probably see me up here on your RSS feed and in your YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, um, on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. So this is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 24th of November, the year 2021. And what I'm saying is I hope all of you have a pleasant and sacred Thanksgiving uh, in the USA. And bye for now.